Praise the Lord, my Lord, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Amen. Uh, is that Ransom? Yes, please, my Lord, the mightiest prophets of the Lord. Yeah, am I live on air now? Yes, please, my Lord, you are live on air, please, my Lord. Thank you very much. Thank you, indeed. Well, our blessed people, what a great opportunity to come before you today, this wonderful afternoon. Uh, to speak with you again, to continue this conversation uh, on the coming of the Messiah. And I know that we have had a conversation, an honest conversation, regarding what the Lord is saying to the church right now. And uh, the Lord has provided yet a wonderful opportunity again. And in Nairobi here is a bright, sunny, someday. I don't know what the weather may be in your part of the world across the earth, but whatever the weather, it is such an opportunity again. Revisit with one another on a conversation that has now set out to be very central. A conversation that has turned out to be very absolutely critical to the life of the church. It's as though you are saying, the Lord is saying that this is the grand finale. You would say this is the church at the door to heaven, the church at the door. Or you could say the grand entry of the church about to take place. And um, the Lord, ever since he gave the prophecy of January 15, the year 2017, that prophecy has become the hymn of the church. That prophecy even has spoken and the subsequent, the consequent revelation that has come out of that prophecy has made a prioritization of the kingdom of God take center stage in the life of the church. I mean, if there is any time in the history of man or history of the church when eternity has come beckoning, eternity has now come beckoning. In other words, eternity is calling. If there is any one time in the history of the church when eternity has come beckoning, come calling on a generation, this is the hour, beloved people, because without saying that uh, that is also a lot of beloved men. The Lord has beloved the church to be able to engage the church of this generation into such a monumental, astronomical, but also an eternal conversation. And uh, this conversation is essentially the extension of the one that transpired during the 8th International Conference of Pastors and Ministers of the Gospel, Ministers of the Gospel, at the Nakuru um, Revival, Nakuru Main Altar. And we saw too well that uh, the Lord in his instruction to the earth, instruction to the nations, he laid to there, he placed it to them, he put it to them, he placed before them the fact that in all their choices, in all their transactions, their lives, their goings and comings, one and only one thing now stands out 
that all their life and worship must gravitate towards the priority of entry into heaven. That whatsoever endeavors one may engage in, there is now the urgent need to ask substantive questions, questions that go beyond the superficial, questions that are incisive, go very deep and profound and ask, how does this help my eternity with God? So we saw such an instruction percolating from during the conference, reaching out to the end of the church, end of the earth. And that's why I wanted to continue with this conversation. I know that I have so much to say. Time is limiting. Time is our problem. But uh, before I start, I want to say that I'm um, indeed very privileged here from Nairobi, from where this message is being uh, given out, is being transmitted right now. Uh, to be hosting the senior Archbishop when uh, D.C. County Commissioner retired, John Litunda. They have visited here a group of bishops and uh, he has come with uh, some of his deputies here. I see the deputy senior Archbishop Zabman Mwit is here the Deputy Senior Archbishop General uh, Chaka retired of the KDF here. I see uh, Deputy Archbishop uh, Zachary Kibale from Kericho here. So they have been here since yesterday. They decided to make a courtesy call here. And uh, in their presence, uh, very senior bishops, bishops, Kano Mtiso retired, formerly of KDF, and uh, I also have Bishop, Senior Bishop, Right Reverend Gitonga, Chief Inspector of Police retired, Chaplain here, Senior Bishop Mozoni Njagi is here, Senior Bishop Tangara Moses of Don Home Alto Nairobi is here. Senior Bishop Dr. J.J. is here. Yeah, Kilimani. Oh, who doesn't know Yaya Kilimani? Um, Senior Bishop Eric Oguta here. Senior Pastor Kawa. You know, they, they are here since yesterday, and it's been such a wonderful fellowship. And I thought in our discussion here, in whatever the Lord is speaking to them, I should be able to open it up a little bit to bring that extension to you that you too may be able to benefit from whatever the Lord is discussing here regarding the word, regarding his instruction, the visitation at this hour. And now they're helping me to host Senior Archbishop of Australia. Dr. Amish is here with uh, his wife, the First Lady, Dr. Joyce Adu. So it's been a wonderful opportunity and uh, in hosting them here, in fellowshipping with them, and the bishops that have come to bring company here. There has been a conversation that I thought would be important to transmit to the entire body of Christ. So it is not exclusive to the few that are here. And so it may benefit the entire body of Christ. And so I want to 
yesterday we talked, we were talking, I was engaging with the senior bishop of Australia, and we were simply talking about the grain, the texture of the revival that is going on in Kenya, and they were giving me their analysis and their observation, because remember, that is what they have come to see, to do, so they may be able to supplant or transplant this revival to their nation. And then now, today, I thought before we would go to any other scripture or any discussion with them regarding church planting, church growth, all these very important aspects of their coming here, I thought uh, probably we can handle a little bit more on the visitation, the visitation of the Lord, the prophecy of January 15, the year 2017. But before I get to that, I just want to read for them and those who are out there the key subject of their coming to Kenya, uh, uh, the senior Archbishop, Dr. Amish, very, very senior person in the nation of Australia, and his wife, very senior, senior person there, uh, Dr. Joyce Um The basis of their being here is essentially from this book of Psalm 127, where it says from verse 1, Unless the Lord build the house, it builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, it builders labor in vain. That is the full premise of their coming here. That is the absolute reason for their coming here. That let the Lord build his house. That the instruction of the Lord may be taken priority as priority in Australia too, and that the Lord may be able in hands to build his house in Australia. And uh, in New American Standard it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Amplified says, except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, they labor in vain, who build it except the Lord keeps the city, the watchman is in the same, same um, in the same scripture. And then King James says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And that is the absolute premise, that is the exclusive premise that has brought uh, the senior Archbishop of Australia here, that they may learn from the ways of the Lord, that they may get to know how the Lord has built this wonderful house of revival that you see in Kenya, the house that is now transmitting the church into the glorious kingdom of God. And I thought there is no humbler, humblier way to approach the Lord than to come in a learning stance. To come in a learning stance and tell the Lord, please teach us, we are ready to learn. So this is the conversation that has been ongoing here to continue, but today I want to break in and revisit with the conference so that they too and everybody else tuned in may be able to benefit a little further within this entire conversation on the visitation, the central theme, the message that is right now rooted at the center of the Christian worship experience. The lowering of eternity in the sky for a generation to see with their eyes, to get to see this, that they may see this, and that in seeing this, they may make decisions to follow eternity and have to prepare for it. So now, um, today, beloved people, I want to talk within the same context of 
the glorious stars of God, Lord in the sky. But I want to launch up a little bit and talk about God's master plan for creation. God's master plan for creation. And you see very clearly that in God's master blueprint, master plan, his architectural design, his master plan for creation, you are going to be astounded to see that there was a deliberate effort to, to navigate. There was a deliberate effort to point humanity to a given direction. And that is really what brings us back to the same old conversation we have been having, that how then can a generation fail to perceive eternity? And so right away, without, without, without much ado, let me right away jump onto Ecclesiastes again. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and then I'll open up from that point on. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 11, and he beautifully says it in that scripture about his master plan for creation. I repeat, he says the following. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart of men. Yet they cannot phantom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So that, that has been a, 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 a clarion call. It has been a resounding message that, uh, that for some time now, the Lord has permitted me to trumpet, trumpet to this generation uh, to bring to their notice the reasons why God has all of a sudden decided to do the unthinkable, to lower eternity and place it right in the faces, in the eyes of a generation, a mortal generation that has not entered. This generation, or a beloved generation, if you so will. And so, I have been talking about this wonderful scripture here, Ecclesiastes, and if you look at Amplified, how Amplified puts it, then it even takes it further, because Amplified says, uh, he, he has implanted, I say it so, it's an implant the Lord has placed, meaning a foreign object, he has implanted it in the hearts of men. Amplified says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also, just that first part of that scripture alone, Ecclesiastes 3.11, when he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. That's right the way just tells you that everything beautiful in his time, in his time, meaning everything he has made has its time. In other words, has its time limit, has its limitation of time. But he says, amplified, again I repeat, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also planted eternity in man's heart and mind. And then he amplifies it by saying, a divinely implanted sense of purpose, working through the ages, which nothing under the sun, but God alone, can satisfy. So even if we stop right there, you see that the Lord is going to greater length to bring to perishability, to bring to mortality, to bring to, to, to fatality, if you will, everything he has created upon the face of this earth. It is as though the Lord were trumpeting a new clarion call to this generation and telling them, how can you say you are not aware that all these things thou relies on are perishable? But the time cometh when a generation would have to prioritize 
on the imperishability of life, the imperishabilities of life, the eternities of life, the immortalities of life. And so that opens us into a broader, a very powerful area. So I want to continue developing this with you today, beloved people, in a wonderful, bright, sunny summer day here in Nairobi. I want to advance that stepwise as I did for you this in a very mighty way by looking at the book of First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 56. Again, a scripture that we visited occasionally once in a while here and there and that has transmitted so much into this generation about the mind of God, the purposes of God, and the plan of God for this generation. But again, in his conversation with the church, the Lord is coming out very clearly that yes, indeed, in his master plan of creation, he already pointed this generation. He pointed mankind, humanity, to a given direction. And like we said, out of the fear for the corruption of the heart, then he said he implanted into them a sense of recognizing that which is eternity and choosing it as a priority when the hour comes beckoning, beloved people. So First Corinthians, I'm reading verses uh, 50, First Corinthians 15, 15, 56, I'm just reading quick. These are foundational. I'm, only, I'm using this lay foundation for the message today. And he says the following, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahweh, the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. You see, from that point when he talks about the entry of the church, the entry of the church, he first bring all these mortal and the perishable to fatality, and then now he talks about the entry of the church into the eternity of God, the eternal kingdom of Yahweh. So it says here, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, if you will, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And we know very well, too well, that the flesh and blood reference made here is a reference that is intended to direct the church, to point at that which is perishable on the earth here, that which spoils, that which is mortal. That is why it says flesh and blood. Flesh and blood essentially represents that which is habitable by sin. Habitable by the sinful desires of this world. But you go on to say here again, I think, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the glorious kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He says, Listen, I tell you, mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For so the trumpet will sound. And the dead who rise will be raised imperishable. We will, we with the, we, the dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed. Verse 53 says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has clothed itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written in the word will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then down there, you see now he mocks death because triumph has taken place. He's enjoying now at the victory camp. He's asking death, oh, where is your sting? Where is your sting anymore? And we know really, beloved people, 
that he is referring here to sin whose wages is death. And so, such a scripture being brought within this context now, when the nation and the generation and the church is deliberately being pointed, is being pointed towards heaven, towards the sky, towards the glorious prayers God has lowered in that prophecy and its past fulfillment. So we, 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 such a scripture really goes a long way to understand how the church ought to behave at this hour or prepare at this critical moment in her life. Because you hear him talking about how the perishable will be brought through fatality. The perishable cannot survive. Making shelf life, meaning perishable, it's spoiled, cannot go further. These are the things you hear him mention here. But I want to start this conversation on the perishable, the mortal and the corruptible, which must be converted to the imperishability of God and the immortality of God and the incorruptibility of eternity for you to see eternity. I want to tag on this something very powerful. I want to tag on this, the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, when the Lord talks to the children of Israel and uh, Exodus, he talked to them about the visitation of the cloud of God when he wanted to visit them. It's a very powerful thing to be speaking about it and to know it even at a greater depth than uh, is being said here. When the Lord came to speak to the children of Israel, yeah, to speak with them in very clear terms, in the book of Exodus chapter 19, I want to tap back into this conversation so I may really expound it and bring it out for you. The book of Exodus 19, verse 12 down here, he goes on to say, Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whosoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. So he makes that pronouncement, he makes that command about his presence. When God now wants to come to visit man, he makes that pronouncement, he makes that position clear about the man he's coming to visit. He's saying limits have to be put when he comes to the extent that man may not accept a certain level of his presence as it close to his presence, a certain domain, dominion where his presence is. And then verse 19, same, verse 21 rather, of the same, the same idea verse 19, verse 21, he makes an affirmation, a repeat, he repeats that. He confirms that very seriously, I am very serious about what I'm saying. And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not put their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. So you see the limitation of this tent you are wearing today, beloved people. And that really is what the Lord was trying to raise when he brought forth the scripture of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11. You see the limitations of this life. You see the limitation of this tent, this body you are wearing, this habitation you are wearing today. And he's saying that by nature, by its creation, in his master plan of creation, the way he created man, the way he created your being, there were limitations. He made sure there were limitations on that tent, on how much that tent can take. And we know it too well that at this point the Lord is saying, when he was talking to children of Israel, he was essentially telling them that in your current condition, 
There is no way in your tent you are able to, allow, to, to, to be inhabited by the presence of God. Otherwise, we will incinerate you, the consuming fire. When it comes to incinerate sin, then, you know, you will be in the incinerated too. He loves his people, but he hates sin. He does not love sin. So you see, the Lord was emphasizing in that scripture that we read, Exodus 19, verses 12 and verse 21, and you see very clearly that he's talking about the limitation, that the, the incapacity, the incapacity, the finite capacity of the current life, current tense. And we know too well that in that conversation that I have now extrapolated into our, our, our talk today, our discourse today, in that extrapolation, he was essentially saying that at one point, the human tent was not yet ready to be inhabited or to walk, to walk into the presence of God, the grateful presence of, presence of God the Father. In other words, he was saying, you are not yet ready. You are not yet ready. In other words, he was saying, you will need a redeemer. You will need a mediator for you to be able to accept my holy, dreadful presence. And that's why I am using this now to simply underscore just how much the current life, the current habitation you have, is perishable, is, uh, it does not last. And you see now, when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes as the, as the mediator, now he's able to bridge fallen man and God. And for that reason now, then now, you say, when the perishable has been converted into imperishability, and the mortal into immortality, and the corruption into incorruptibility, he says so, then he says now that what is written now comes true. The scripture comes true that sin has been defeated. And the wages of sin, death, have been defeated. And so that's a very powerful thing the Messiah brought. Because you can now see that the Messiah, when he came, he was surely duty-bound to observe that transformation, to effect that transformation in the life of the church. The converting of mortal men into immortality and perishable men into imperishability and corruptible men into incorruptibility. That is where I wanted us to begin from. That is the context with which I want to begin this conversation today. Because now we see very clearly that the Messiah has facilitated the church. Has facilitated the church in such a tremendous way by opening this way that allows them to undergo this transformation in priority and everything. Now you see that heaven lowers the stairs to beckon man into the glorious eternal kingdom of God. Why? Because they have been facilitated. And that's why I wanted to begin by tagging that scripture to 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 56, so that we may now expand this conversation. So then, what is the Lord saying? Let me advance and develop for you, these beloved people. Uh, this also speaks about the timeline of God, which I'm going to handle much later, because that would then address the question, why now? Why? Why at this hour? The lowering of the stairs, the process itself, and the past fulfillment is a message on its own because 
transmitting the message that the entry is near. The church at the door. Please prepare the way. Prepare in honest. Be genuine in your preparation. And all these things that the Lord is talking about. Be righteous. Be holy. All these things. But I'm saying, there's also the dimension that touches on why now. And that lays gravity on the greater need to prepare very well. Okay, right now I want to read with you, beloved people, the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. James, chapter 4, 13 to 14. James, chapter 4, 13 to 14, as we develop our conversation further. James, chapter 4, 13 to 14. Hallelujah. So this is what he says in James 4, 13, 14. And remember today, it is God's master plan for creation. That is really where we are training our focus on art. But the process bringing out all these wonderful pleasantries from the word on how to prepare. John chapter, in James chapter 4, I say 13 all the way to 14. He says, listen you will say, today or tomorrow, we will go to that city, spend a year there, and carry on business and make money. And uh, King James says, go to now, ye that say, today and tomorrow, we will go, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Verse 14, he says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanishes away. So that is a very powerful addition now into this wonderful equation that we are developing as why God has lowered the glorious days of heaven, of eternity, of everlasting life, before the very eyes of this generation, right in the skies above the earth here. Because now, teaching Jen, you see very clearly that the Lord is saying that effort, he's talking about human effort at this time. Human life and the effort, you see there's so much effort man puts in today, that he's talking about human life and human effort today, that there is so much effort on sending anxiety on the earth and so forth without realizing that actually mankind was duty bound in another direction. When God in his grand master plan for creation created man, he's telling us very clearly here that right now the majority of church, the majority of men are focused on another duty, a lighter duty, a lower duty. And in so doing, saying, oh, let us go do this here, let us go do that. And he's asking, are you not aware that your life is just but a vapor? Shouldn't that have instructed your priorities? Are you not aware that you have a greater duty for the way you were created? to focus and prepare for eternity. So, so much is beginning to come out, beloved people, in this understanding of why the Lord has lowered everlasting life, non-ending life, eternal life. He has lowered the stairs of Yahweh, the stairs of the New Jerusalem, 
right in the face of this generation up in the sky here, above the earth. And now we're beginning to understand that the Lord is saying, just a moment, based on the master plan of creation, I already apportioned unto them where priority should be in terms of their duty on the earth. In that short life, you talk about the, the, the shortness, the temporariness of life. And he says, so much effort is placed on things and work and life here without mankind realizing that they were given a cardinal duty during this short pilgrimage on the earth, that during this short pilgrimage they were essentially supposed to be a lodger, a sojourner that is passing by a transient, who is passing by, and use that time to prepare for eternity. He says that was the greater duty. That was the greater duty to mankind, to the church. And so, he's saying to this generation that this world is perishable. That's what comes out very clearly there. There's so much effort is put in how to find, how to be this, how to go to another city, do a business, make profit. This world is very perishable. Mankind should not bank. Should not bank, you know, so much onto the things of this world, this life but should be banking on that eternity that he has now lowered for this generation, beloved people. Huh? And he's saying that even in your life here, the way it's created you, the word, you ought to be consulting the word that you may understand your real duty on this earth. Otherwise, in your pilgrimage here, you end up focusing on another, a lighter duty, when there is a bigger duty to prepare for eternity. So this is awesome, awesome, awesome that the Lord is now engaging this generation in a manner never before, seen before, on eternity, beloved people. He has brought to, to uselessness, if you will, hopelessness, to valuelessness, to misery, all this effort and the building of personal water and water on the earth, and he has now centered value, he has added treasure and value to matters eternity. To your eternity. That is what the Lord is saying to this generation. He's saying, you are such a blessed generation. You are being redirected deliberately in a very powerful manner by the Lord himself. And he's saying all the wealth of the earth must be very empty then. Must be empty to you because that is the reason for which he has raised the glorious death of Yahweh in the skies above beloved people. And if you read the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 19, Genesis 3 19, there is no better scripture that really puts it to cause, puts it to, Genesis, to, to, to this direction, that Genesis chapter 3 verse 19. And this is what it says on Genesis 3 19. He says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till Thou return unto the ground, and out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto that thou return, shalt thou return. Let me read it again. He says again, Genesis 19. And again, he says, Genesis 3.19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt 
shall return. So all these go a long way. So I'm saying, in his master plan of creation, God already pointed mankind to one, one direction. He already pointed the church towards eternity. He says, in your life there, in your short time on the earth, you must focus upon eternity. Because only that lasts forever. So surely there is no cause for alarm or cause for surprise and shock. Oh, I did not know. Because the creator himself is saying, in the way, in the master plan by which I created the church, mankind, I already made it clear to them that life on the earth is like a vapor. That they are simply visitants, visitants upon the earth. They are visiting the earth. During that time, <clears throat> they needed to focus, <coughs> they needed to prioritize and focus on eternity, that which lasts. And very clearly we saw in the book of Exodus 19, 12, and 21, and then we saw first, <coughs> we saw first Corinthians 15, 50, 56. He raised that up, he brought it up, and he said, no, already the perishability that you bear cannot inhabit the presence of God. We remember the story of Uzzah, Uzzah trying to go before God, and dying right before the Ark of the Covenant, touching the mercy seat and falling dead there. So we know too well that the Lord made it very clear that the glory that covers and envelops and pans his glorious eternal kingdom would require of mankind to undergo transformation. A deliberate effort to transform and make sure that they adhere to the life immortal. But look at this now. In all this conversation, we know that the Lord is saying that the body, the human body, is temporary. Temporary, like a vampire says. And yet he says it's perishable, meaning short shelf life. Short shelf life does not last forever. And then he says, in the, in the process he says, when he says temporary, and then he says, he says, but the soul, the soul loves eternally. Life's eternal. So really you would have to choose where you want your soul to spend eternity. And these are the prioritizations that the Lord is bringing before this community, this church, at this hour. And so, in the book of uh, Matthew 24, Matthew 24, as we continue this conversation, beloved people, Matthew 24, verse 42, I can read up to where I'm able to, in order to bring this point, Matthew 24, from verses 42, moving on, he says the following, 